0: Today on the Isle of Misfits, we welcome a very special guest, and I'm not sure if by qualifying special with the word very that makes her even more special, but in any event, she's pretty special. And the great thing is, you've probably never even heard of her, but I am certain that once you do, you'll never forget her. Her name is Leah Sievert, and I get the pleasure to be one of her early adapters because with a story like hers... You know, it's going to spread. It's just too good to keep to herself. So, there you go. That's all you get. To hear the rest for yourself, keep listening.
1: Restoration and redemption. Now, what better thing could we talk about today on the Isle of Misfits? And my special guest, oh, she can tell us a thing or two about it. In fact, Her story is so compelling, I don't want to give any of it away and just let her tell you for herself. I will say she has shared part of her story on the Dr. Phil show. So if you caught her there, consider it a mere preview, my friend. Because today you get to hear the rest of the story, the best part of the story. Her name is Leah Sievert. She's a life coach, a mentor, and public speaker with a passion to tell others how God can take any mess. And make it into a message of God's love and restoration. So, welcome, welcome, Leah, to the Isle of Misfits. We are so glad to have you here with us today. Well, thank you. Well, you are so welcome. Um, I'm so excited to have you. But let's let's talk a little bit about how how we even got to this place of interviewing you. Let's let's talk a little bit about how we met. Do you remember how we met? Yes, we um, both
2: are part of Colson Fellows to study biblical worldview, Um, and God brought us together during dinner one night and started finding out what each other one was about, and um, of course I'm sure you, as many others are, you never suspected um, my world or where I came from or how um, I ended up at
1: Colson Fellows. Yes, I remember it well. And I remember one question I asked you. I think I stumped you at first. I remember I asked you, so what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> do you remember what you said? I don't. <laughs> walking in the woods maybe? I really don't well, do a lot for fun. That Well, yes, okay, so that's what you actually said. So and there's this a purpose <laughs> to this segue. Um, so, yes, I asked you, well, what do you like to do for fun? And your first answer was, nothing. <laughs> I don't have fun. But then the more we talked... I knew, I knew that there was fun in you, and yes, we started talking about walks in the woods and things like that, and so it was all just, just kismet from there, so um, speaking of fun, so this is where we segue, we're going to get into your story, oh yeah, we need to hear this story, but before we do, my listeners at this point know there's a little tradition, we like to play a stupid game, so I already asked you off air, but I'm going to ask you again just for posterity, are you up for my stupid game? I am up for the game. She's up for the game, folks. You heard her. Okay, so the name of this stupid game is Tell Me If I'm Lying. So I based it on the fact that you are from Ohio. That's correct? Correct. All right, so she's from Ohio. So we're going to see, we're going to test her. I'm going to give her some fun facts. I'm going to give you, Leah, some fun facts about your great state of Ohio. And you're going to tell me, am I lying or am I telling the truth? Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. She's ready. Okay. Okay. Number one, the song Hang On Sloopy is the official state rock song. Am I lying or am I telling the truth? Pretty much for Ohio State Buckeyes. All right, so you think I'm telling the truth? Sure. Okay, I, you know what? You got it. I am telling the truth. I'm not going to start lying right off the bat, so you got it. Ding, ding, ding. Good job. All right. Uh-huh. I can't get her. All right, how about uh, number two, Cincinnati is the official home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Am I lying?
2: I think I'm lying.
1: Why do you think I'm lying? Why would I lie to you? I don't know, but I think I would know that's in Cincinnati. (laughs) And you are absolutely right. Yes, I was trying to trick you. So yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, of course, in Ohio, but it's in another great city. Cleveland? Do you know the name of that city? Yes, Cleveland. Yes, ding, ding, ding. That whoa, was a bonus. Whoa. So, yeah, see, you got it. Of course. I can't fool you. All right, here we go. The first man to walk on the moon was from your great state. True. Is that, that is true. I'm not lying. That's what they told me. In fact, um, yeah, he was from, I'm not even sure I can pronounce this. Uh, you might have to help me. Wapokoneta?
2: Wapokoneta. Wapokoneta. Wapokoneta.
1: That's where he was yeah. from. Uh, mm-hmm. Bonus points if you can. Uh, do you remember his name? Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. Ding, ding, ding. You, you got it. You know. Come on. Who, who are mm-hmm. we kidding? This woman knows her yeah, state. Yeah. So, yeah. Other and there's yeah. There's quite a few famous names from Ohio. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Paul Newman, uh, Clark Gable. You know, if you're into the old school movie scene. Um, mm-hmm. Even Thomas Edison introduced the light bulb. Yeah. Yeah, All yeah. true facts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last one. Last one. Okay. So Ohio's nickname, the Buckeye State, was named after those little chocolate-covered peanut butter thingies that people like to make around the holidays. True? Is that is that true, or am I lying? False. That is false. Of course, it's false. Although the little Buckeye things are kind of named after like the real Buckeyes, which are trees, right? Yeah. Yes, a buckeye tree that produces a nut
2: that has like an eye-looking thing upon it.
1: There you go. That's pretty darn good for me playing a stupid game with you. So congratulations, uh-huh. and thanks for playing. I will be sure to send you an official Isle of Misfits T-shirt just as soon as that's actually a real thing. So um, actually, <laughs> come to think about it. That's not a bad idea. So maybe you'll get the very first one. Yay. Yay! So, all right, let's move on to the good stuff. Um, So I'm going to start in a weird place, but, you know, look where we are. We're in the aisle where the fits. But um, here's the weird place I want to start. In your bio, it was actually one of the last things that you wrote. This quote jumped out at me, so I want to start here. Here's the quote. It was in prison and in my suffering and surrender that I found the most important things in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, which we know comes from Galatians, fruit of the Spirit. And then you say, these things cannot be taken from me by this world, but I'm striving desperately to give them away. Now, mm-hmm. what jumped out at me was that last sentence, but I'm pretty sure the prison thing might be jumping out at someone else right now, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but tell me what you meant by that. Um, what I meant by that
2: is prior to my incarceration, prior to um, me falling into a pit of despair and suffering, I was a very anxious person. And uh, one thing that I wanted more than anything in my, my entire life was to have peace. And so it was actually in my suffering that I found that peace that I had been striving to find my entire life. And if one can hold on to that peace in all circumstances, in all situations, um, then and that the things of this world cannot take those things, then really we have reached success, right? Because God wants us to walk in the fruits of the Spirit, and he wants us to have those things, the love and peace and joy, and to walk in those things. And that, too, um, draws others to yourself. Nobody is drawn to a grumpy tense, anxious person. They're drawn to those people who actually are reeking of the fruits of the Spirit, that it's just oozing out of them because everyone wants to strive to get to that point. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. my whole point in wanting to give it away is that I would not want someone to have to walk in the level of suffering that I have walked in to achieve those fruits. I would rather be able to explain them, to go through the stories, and to have them achieve them without having to go through the suffering that I did.
1: Mm, that's a great place to start. I know there's a little bit of a teaser out because I'm sure people are like, oh, okay, so what is she talking about? What, what produced this suffering? So let's back up a little bit now. So tell us, tell us your story. I know it kind of began on a farm. You grew up on a farm. I did,
2: actually. I grew up on a farm in Missouri. I was raised in Missouri. Um, I learned early on about the promiscuous lifestyle and was not raised in a Christian home and um, got pregnant and married at the age of 17, moved to the state of Ohio and knew no one except for my husband at my wedding. Um, Got married, um, soon had two children, went through nursing school, later had another child. But the one thing that I always um, had a problem with was in our marriage, my ex-husband had a problem with um, being a compulsive, pathological liar. And so later, near the end of our marriage, he developed a gambling problem. Well, that certainly did not help um, his lying issue. So after four and a half years of Christian marriage counseling, So I guess I need to back up and say at the age of 21, I did give my life to Christ, and I did serve him, but still was not able to obtain those truths of the Spirit that I so wanted to find. And so near the end of our marriage, we did go through four and a half years of Christian marriage counseling. And um, the marriage counselor said, it wouldn't matter how beautiful you are, how rich you are, how successful you are. Your husband is who he is, and he's not going to change. That's who he is. And if you can't live with that, then um, you have to make other decisions. So at that point, I decided to divorced him, and the moment that I went to an attorney and filed for that divorce, I started living in that lifestyle that I had as a teenager. I thought, well, I've been married 21 years, been married since the age of 17, and I've been a quote-unquote good girl and a good wife, and it got me nowhere. I actually told God, um, if you're going to make me go back to that man, you and I can't be friends. So I started living in that sin lifestyle, and um, I was separated from him for about a year and I had started dating an ex cop who quote unquote was also separated and he gave me a cockloaded gun. I had restraining orders and all of that. My ex husband had been stalking me, breaking into my apartment, slashing tires, threatening to kill people, snatching my little one from my arms, saying that your mom will never see you again and so, you know, as a little a farm girl, I had learned early on to protect myself. And whether it be from the other boys on the farm, my brothers and cousins, or whether it be from the critters that would try to attack me, I learned early on to protect myself. And um, one day I decided to have him over to try to convince him to stop stalking me. The marriage is over and can't you see I've left you? And that just, in a three-hour span, got very... Um, unbalanced and unsettled, and um, got to the point where I had him at gunpoint, and um, while having it at gunpoint, he did the very thing that he had done over all those years, was lied to me at gunpoint, and I literally, I say I snapped, I lost all recognitions and screamed, you're never going to stop, I shot at him, I didn't know if I'd hit him. Um, He ran into the bedroom and shut the door and I threw the gun like a baseball bat after you hit the baseball and threw that gun and grabbed my phone and ran with my pajamas and socks on into the woods and called the police and said that I had shot my husband, didn't even know if I had hit him, but I was terrified and there's a horrible recording of me screaming bloody murder and Because I knew at that very moment my entire life was over. It was Mm -hmm. over, everything that I had thought. So um, I had, I was out of prison for nine months before I actually went to prison waiting on trial and stuff. And the moment that changed my life was I was so incredibly suffering from PTSD and I was so suicidal that my friends would not leave me for a moment. And so I told them that I needed to go to the woods where I felt the closest to God and I needed to talk to God. And as I walked in the woods, as I looked up, I would almost pass out. And um, got. And then I, if I looked behind or to the side, same thing. I was so weak, so sick. And um, I knew that the only way that I could walk was by putting one foot in front of the other, looking right down at the next step, and God told me, at that moment, you cannot look ahead at all you're going to have to face, the courts and prison and trials, nor can you look behind at all you've lost, your nursing, your time with your children. The only way you're going to make that is by putting one foot in front of the other and having faith in me and holding on to me for dear life. So... Mm as soon as I went to prison, which I was sentenced to four years, um, every day I held that thought, God, I can't look ahead and I can't look behind. I can only hold on to you at this very, very moment. And I promised God that I would serve him for the rest of my life. It was shortly thereafter that I was in prison that God pressed upon my heart. It was about four months after I went there. And I was walking um, on what's known as the walk jog. So you walk in circles in prison. as I was walking, I told God that I always wanted to go on a mission trip.
1: Hmm. He said, you are on one. No doubt. So I
2: started looking at the similarities, and they have very few clothes, and the place isn't like home, and the sleeping arrangements, and even the bathrooms, the food, nothing is the same. And even on a mission trip when you go and you help people who have survived a hurricane or an earthquake, their whole homes have been destroyed and you just love one person at a time and try to help them as much as you could. So my the rest of my incarceration, which was the total of four years, was to to believe with all of my heart that I was there to serve God and that I was there to love his people one person at a time.
1: Mm, I think it's this important is, yeah. to
2: mention I think it's important to mention that I thought BEFORE where I would incarcerated myself, that all prisoners were bad people, and they Mm -hmm. deserve to go there, and all they do is watch TV, and how bad could it possibly be? But you know how God tells us, be careful when you judge, lest you be Mm -hmm. judged. And Mm -hmm. so I learned very, very, very quickly that most prisoners are not bad people. They're people who've made bad choices. They're wonderful, wonderful people, and they might have had a broken lifestyle, a broken person, a a broken world that led them to that place. Okay, I'm going to stop right there
1: because I want you to repeat that again. That's profound what you just said because most of us are not familiar with with prisoners, with prison, with the whole idea. We see it on TV. We get these ideas in our head. Social media doesn't help. Say that again. Most prisoners are not bad people. Mm -hmm.
2: They have been raised in such a way that led them to a bad decision or a chain of bad decisions. They are wonderful people with huge hearts. And then it might be someone like in my own situation that I had a man give me a gun. They might have been led to drugs or that might have been their family lifestyle. That They are really wonderful. Some of the best people I have ever met in my life were incarcerated inmates. Who were just like me? They were good people who made bad choices to end up where they were. And as right. we know, once they get that felon behind their name, it it totally hinders the rest of their lives.
1: Right? Because you know, okay, there's like, there's almost this duality to that term. So I and I want to camp here for a second because I think it's important. So good people, all right. So take prison out of the out of the equation. So are we all good people before God? Mm, not so much. So, theologically, we know that to be true, and yeah, mm-hmm. even as Christians, I think we still categorize. Well, that's a good person. That's not a good person because of because of our biases, right? So, mm-hmm. I just want to kind of level that playing field. You're not talking about because just because I know your story, that before God, they're good people, but compared to you know the way we look at people. Yes, if you if you spend
2: time with with incarcerated um, people, you will find out that they are literally in our judgment terms good people. If you set them out of the prison setting and you happen to set them beside you at the BMV or something and start chit chatting with them, you would label them as good people. And as a matter of fact, as I mentored these women and they told me their stories, even some of the most heinous crimes that you could imagine, if you listen to their story, it may not justify what they did what they did, but it totally makes you understand how they were led to the place to do what they did. There is no one in their right mind that would that would say that shooting another person or human being is okay. However, sometimes you've heard stories where people have shot people and you understood what brought them to that point. The same goes for the ladies who were caught up in drug addiction, or those ladies who might have had a child endangerment charge, or those people who might have actually killed someone, usually it's not an evil person who plotted and planned to do some evil behavior. It was part of a circumstance that led them to making the wrong choice, and specifically and a lot of times in the
1: heat of the moment. Right. You know, there but for God's grace is a saying I heard a lot. Growing up, you know, mm-hmm. there but for God's grace go I. If I have this idea, well, I would never do this or I would never do that, you know what? No, I'm capable of anything under the sun, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong frame of mind. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, where is it First Corinthians talks about. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful Unless that you, you don't fall. fall. Mm-hmm. All of us Absolutely. are in that same boat. So I, I think it's such an important point to drill home, you know, because whether we live in suburbia or downtown or wherever we live, we are all in the same boat. Absolutely.
2: And we are all
1: misfits. None
2: of us are perfect. That's, that's biblical. We mm-hmm. all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? So, so, okay, so I forgive my interruption, but I wanted to camp there for a minute. So now yes, I... go on.
2: Okay, so once I was in prison, I was given the calling. And basically, my calling in a lot of ways, I first of all had a calling, and then I had a lot of lessons to get me where I am. And there's a lot of teaching right now, spiritual formation, right, spiritual coordination, spiritual formation that you want to transform a life. And so since then, I've been striving to figure out how can I teach other people to get to where I am but not go from where I came from. and mm-hmm. so isaiah sixty one was was what I believed to be my calling. Of course, isaiah sixty one speaks of Jesus' calling. And it says, the spirit, of the Sovereign Lord is on me, and Jesus quotes that again later in the New Testament. It says, "Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor." And we all know that it's the poor who Jesus came to love and to help and to fix and to mend. And He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. There's no one more brokenhearted than those people who have been through tragedy and through suffering, and those people who are incarcerated. So to proclaim freedom to the captives and release. From the darkness of prisoners and I do believe that is my calling and um, I'm sure we'll talk about I do prison ministry now and juvenile ministry however I believe that a lot of people that are held captive and are prisoners are prisoners in their minds, and they're prisoners of that lack of peace that I was before I was incarcerated. And so it's talking about the captivity that most people are experiencing as a captivity in their minds, whether it be shame or unforgiveness or um, anxiety or depression, those things. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve. And fact, that's what we're supposed to be here for anyway. All of us, pretty much, are have this exact same calling on our lives. To crown beauty instead of ashes. And I always say one of the most profound, profound um, sermons that I heard was while I was incarcerated. And it talks about Psalm 107 two, And it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so... All of the people that know me, even for a short period of time, know this scripture. And the point is this. I used to be a whore, so. I used to be a drug dealer, so. I used to be addicted to drugs, so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's not who I am. God mm-hmm. tells me that I have a new body and a new mind. And so the devil wants to hold us down with all of our past. So here it says a beauty instead of ashes. My life is beautiful now, that it came from the ashes of before. It says an oil of gladness instead of mourning. How many people are mourning that are not even incarcerated? And how can you be glad? While I was incarcerated, my son got hit by a semi-truck, and there's no medical reason because I used to be a nurse of why he should be alive. But see, God performs miracles. And so he wants you to know, that you can be glad in the middle of mourning because God has a purpose for it. The garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. How many of our people in this world right now are thinking this is the worst of times? This this is when the world's um, coming to an end. This is when the the... The return of Jesus Christ is coming. That is true. And that we should have a spirit of praise that our Jesus is coming and not a spirit of despair. We're going to heaven, and what could be more beautiful than that? And most of all, it says that we are called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord display in splendor. And one of the things about an oak tree is its roots, right? And so the, the suffering that I went through gave me my roots. So I could be called the Oak of Righteousness. And so the thing is that I want to prevent people from having to go through those things that I went through. Um, One of the other things that I learned in, in prison, and I've heard this many times since then, and I just think it's a beautiful analogy, is sometimes when our life's a mess, all we see is mess and there's, we can't see past that. And Somebody equate it to a tapestry, right? And if there's a tapestry between here and heaven, if we look up at the back of that tapestry, it's a mess jumbled up strings and it just looks you can't even tell what it is but when Jesus looks from heaven he sees a beautiful tapestry all the mess that we're in all of it that doesn't make sense God tells us that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways and so there's a lot of times that I would have thought there is no way that God could have used my suffering for beauty there's no way he could have taken that pile of ashes and made a beautiful said and did he deed and when you take and burn it, that's what makes ashes. And what had to be burned was my old way of life. See, my life had to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I had to get all that old yucky stuff out of there and put the word of God that I might be strong. And one of the other things that, I, that completely transformed my life was, I was reading the Bible and it was talking about Hebrews. And Hebrews 11 is the whole chapter of all of um, the great people of faith in the Bible, and it talks about Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and it talks about all the beautiful things that they did and where their faith took them and what came of their lives. And it says, though, that people were tortured and flogged and chained in prison and Stoned and saw in two, they were killed by the sword, they were wandering in the desert. And I thought it was interesting. In Hebrews eleven, thirty nine it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none received what they were promised. It says in verse forty, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And I said, what? You mean to tell me that Joseph and all the beautiful things that come of his life and Jacob and all the beautiful things that came of his life, how in the world could all these hideous things like stoning, imprisonment, dying by the sword, beheaded, cut in half, how could that be made better than all the beautiful stories? And more importantly, it says, so that they would be made perfect. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that does not sound like perfect to me. Beheaded, stoned, imprisonment, Mm -hmm. none of it. But then I looked in the concordance and what the word perfect meant. And it said, custom, ultimate purpose. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes we think to have a perfect life, to have a better life, our stories need to look like Joseph and Jacob and Moses. But in reality... Sometimes the most perfect life for God is our custom made purpose purpose, because you see, I had no idea that when I got to be around thirty five, forty years old, that I would be imprisoned for shooting someone, and anyone who knew me knew that there was no way that their Leah could ever do something like that. But see. My God knew, and there are no surprises in the kingdom of heaven, and it was part of my custom, ultimate purpose
1: because
2: I would not be going into ministry. I would not be helping the incarcerated. I would not be having the calling. I would not have attended Colson Fellows to influence the entire world. I would not have done any of that had I not went through and did what I did.
1: Wow, there's there's so much there. There's about 20 questions I can ask, but I you know what? I'm 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 going to I'm going to go here with the, just this last bit that you were just saying. So powerful. Um and it reminds me of another quote from what you shared with me. You said, "No matter if we are behind razor wire or in the free world, we we all must walk in freedom from shame, insecurity, unforgiveness, bitterness and hate. Being held captive by these will leave us" Living a life less than what God desires for us, which is that purpose, right? That custom made perfect, mm-hmm. perp- yep. perfect purpose that God has for us. And you know, I think a big theme in this that I'm picking up from what you're sharing and what I already knew about you, a big part of this has to do with forgiveness. So tell us about oh. how that that all plays into this, um, because there's a there's some pretty dramatic forgiveness that went on, not just with between you and God, which is the most miraculous. But um, beyond, what, tell us about that. Ironically, that's one of the big highlights I, I wanted to
2: talk about. So it must be a God-ordained Holy Ghost moment. It must be. Um, So one of the big things that had to happen within my heart was forgiveness, and it took a lot to come to that point. And I remember very, very specifically there was an inmate another inmate, fellow inmate, that was treating me extremely wrong. And I remember being at that vulnerable point when I got on my hands and knees, and I said to God very clearly, You are supposed to be my avenger. And see, if You would take care of my enemies, then I wouldn't have to take care of my enemies, and I wouldn't have had to shoot my Mm ex-husband. And God showed me very clearly in a vision, but also He showed me through Scripture that the reason he couldn't avenge someone is because I wouldn't let him go. And so mm. part of that I came from reading Romans 12, 17 through 19, and I'll just basically give you the gist of it. It says, don't take revenge, let me repay. It says, mm. make room for my wrath. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you imagine two little girls and they're fist fighting and punching each other and the mom wants to step in and try to punish one of those little girls, she can't punish them until they stop fighting. Right? Right, She has to separate them. Right? And so I realized early on that that God was not going to take care of my enemy until I let them go. So mm-hmm. I stopped fighting them. The funny thing is, though, I had to realize that see, sometimes God doesn't punish them immediately, as I think he should, nor does he mm-hmm. punish them the way I think that he should, Nor, and sometimes God will actually punish someone by giving them grace and blessings. And you have to realize that our daddy, our father, our Abba father, has hot, so many thoughts greater than ours and his understanding and his purpose and also he sees the end from the beginning so if it takes a blessing to punish that person to bring them to repentance then that's between him and God and so I had to learn to trust God I had to learn to trust God with taking care of my enemies at one point he showed me two little girls and they were playing and one broke the lamp and tried to blame it on the other but what the significant part was the one that was being blamed that did not break the lamp could look up and see their mom watching the whole event from the stairs, right? And so this was mm-hmm. the, the, the lesson in that is our daddy is watching from the stairs. He sees everything that happens and he's not extremely fond of people doing wrong to one another. The Bible says that whatever you do to the least of one of your brothers and sisters you're doing it to Jesus Christ. So if you think your daddy's just going to let some injustice go he's not but what he requires of you is to let it go and what I want people to know through restoration is this on October 31st Halloween of all days, which is so funny. My ex-husband, the one I shot, and I will be walking into the very prison that I was incarcerated at together to talk to a victim awareness class about forgiveness. Him and I oh have forgave God. one another. And the other thing is... Wow. Bottom, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, wait. Uh, i got to yes. stop here. How did that okay. happen? Um... The lady who teaches victim awareness, I actually took the class in there. Since I go into that same prison every Saturday to do prison ministry, she was talking about her class. She asked specifically about my husband and I because, of course, I was um, very well known in that prison because Dr. Phil came to that prison. And so she had asked me how we were doing, and I told her about our complete forgiveness. And she said, I want you guys to come talk victim's awareness. See, usually they only have the victims in there, right? And so, but in reality, in some ways, my ex-husband is a victim because I injured him with a bullet. But I'm a victim because he stalked me and all of that. So in reality, aren't we all victims, right, of something that brought us to that point? So we're going to walk in there and talk about that.
1: And I'm so sorry. I I, I know I'm camping here for a second. But just even how did you come to forgiveness with your ex-husband, that mutual forgiveness? That in itself is an amazing story.
2: One of the reasons that we came to forgiveness was because I realized that Romans eight twenty eight was real, that all things, we know that all things work together for good for those who are called and who love the Lord, right? And so I realized that in my suffering is where I found all of those fruits that I wanted. And so I realized that me being incarcerated, having done what I'd done, actually brought me to what God intended for my life anyway. And not too long ago, he texted me and had talked about how he was grateful that I shot him because it gave him a wake-up call and what life is really about. So I think in a way we, wow. we learn to forgive because we, we found that it was actually good for us to go through that torment because God says that if we can find the good in something then that automatically brings us peace in that situation. And that also God has restored both of our lives to even better than before. So how could we possibly hold unforgiveness? I know that he was a broken person that taunted me to the point of doing what I did because all he wanted was he was unhealthily desperate to get his wife back. At the same time, I was coming from a broken place because only broken people would shoot someone. Someone who's not broken is not likely to shoot someone. And so we realized that we were both broken when we did what we did, that it wasn't a a way of just purposely premeditating harm to one another. We just were ill in in a way of wanting each other or not wanting each other.
1: Oh, my gosh, this is so powerful because, I, Leah, I guarantee you there are people listening right now that are thinking, you know, it, it, normally they'll listen to a story, you know, an inspiring story. Yeah, that's great, but you don't know what I did. And what I love about your story, and it's not that I love the pain you've gone through, but I love, first of all, your transparency and that you're, you're not sugarcoating any of it. You're telling it like it is, but you're, you're painting a picture of reality that is not too much for grace, This is what grace is all about, and people need to know this. They're hungry for it. Just like you said, you know, we talked about at the beginning that you're desperate to give away what you know you can't lose. I love that image. Absolutely. So so talk to that person who might be listening right now who's saying, you know, even now they're like, okay, this this is a great story, but what about me? You know, what about what I've done or what I've been through? Is this true even for me?
2: Well, I always have the silliest analogy, and usually there are people who are dog people or not dog people who have their choice of dogs, that they, they like this analogy or no, or don't, but I just kind of leave it like this, that um, the devil, he wants us to go about acting in shame and acting in unforgiveness and walking around, and I always say it, and there's nothing against any dog breed. I do not have a love of a dog breed or a hate of a dog breed, but you know that 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 aggressive dog and we'll just call them a rottweiler or Pitbull, who specifically has been trained to be that way mm-hmm. but the reason that they're growling and angry and aggressive is because they're scared and they're trying to defend themselves mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. see this little poodle walking beside the owner and it's like fluffy and bouncy and all mm-hmm. um, carefree right and so it knows that if if it's about to get attacked, then its owner is just going to scoop it up and protect it, right? And so I believe that a lot of the people in this world today are walking around like Rottweilers. They're walking in unforgiveness and bitterness. They have walls to their hearts, and they're trying to protect themselves. And their aggressive nature is coming from a point of fear right? But our daddy doesn't want us to walk like that. He wants us to walk like that little fluffy poodle and just bouncing around happy. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for us. He said, it is finished. And every time we walk in a, and I always say this term, yucky state of mind, any time we are not walking in the fruits of the Spirit, then our Father is like, wasn't we dying on the cross enough? He wants us to forgive ourselves and use what has happened in our lives for the greater good, for His purpose. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 1, through 3-7, it says God comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you have... Um, been addicted to drugs, what you have done in that drug addiction, can you not use that to help others who have been in that same place? You're the very person that they need. Having been an inmate, having been incarcerated, I'm the very person that people listen to the most in prison because they know, she knows where I've been, and God doesn't want us to walk around with shame and with um. Regret. He says, just like that scripture I cro- quoted in Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yes. Whatever I did, God can forgive it, he can restore it, he can redeem it, and he wants us to walk it out because he died for his adopted children he chose us we didn't choose him and so his death was enough to cover anything we've done and now he just wants us to surrender it to him and live the life worthy of his calling
1: Mm -mm -mm -mm, to be free you know and isn't there's like this wonderful irony because it isn't really until we can own these things you know whatever my regret is and i have lots of them that i could list off but until i own it I can't bring it to God you know sometimes we try to hide it Mm. bury it do whatever because it's just so painful but Mm -hmm. part of that freedom you're talking about is owning it and then confessing it and then letting God do that work that he came to do by by taking our sin upon himself and letting us be free wow what a powerful story so here's my next question for you when are you writing your book?
2: Oh, goodness, I don't know. I had confirmation and while I was incarcerated about writing a book, and I was, I've been thinking recently about if they ever did a, uh, a, if I ever wrote a book and then they made a movie of it, I know that everyone would be sitting on their edge of their seat in suspense, the things that have happened in my life and the twists and the turns, and, you know, we're all a sucker for based on a true story, right? And so I know, I know that I know I need to do that, but... At this current moment, it doesn't fit in very well, but I have promised the Lord that I will do that indeed someday. Okay.
1: All right, so consider this at least your second confirmation. I bet there's more. So, But in the meantime, you are sharing your story. So if people wanted to get a hold of you to come share their story, how could they do that?
2: Um, they could email me. Um, is Leah, L-E-A-H, Jean, as in the pants you wear, J-E-A-N, with an S on it for fever, 35, which is the number of hope, at gmail.com. So it's
1: LeahJeans35
2: at com.
1: Okay, so we're going to have that up as well uh, because I wouldn't be surprised if you're hearing from people that just have been so inspired by hearing this and just a part of your story um, and want to hear more and and just the hope and the inspiration that that you're bringing with it so Leah thank you so much for joining us today it has just been it's been a pleasure it's been an encouragement and I just I just pray many blessings over you as you continue to share this this amazing story of of God's work in your life thank you thank you so much Nancy. God bless you
0: so let me give you that email address once more if you want to contact Leah ready okay here you go it's leahjeans35 at gmail.com. That's L-E-A-H-J-E-A-N-S 35 at gmail.com. You might want to have her come speak to your women's group or any group for that matter. So you might want to get on that Leah train now and book her because I think in the days to come that girl's speaking engagement schedule is going to get pretty full. In the meantime, please feel free to share this podcast with whoever you think could use some of her encouragements. And by all means, visit me on isleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of Misfits.com for great podcasts like these and so much more. By the way, you can also find these podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just saying. So we've got a bunch more great interviews coming up for you soon, including Candice Payne, Chewbacca Mom, and oh my gosh, some stories that will blow you away. So until then, my friends own your awkward, and love your fellow misfit.